which is, uh, I'm going to title it, The Lamb Thread. And we'll have a, we'll, there'll be a song in, uh, I'll call for a song. We have a special group singing. Um, and, and this song is, uh, as you listen to it, it's a, it's, it's a fairly complicated musical piece, but it's a fairly simple message. And, and uh, I'd like for you to, to listen for that message. Um, the Lamb Thread. Let's turn to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. A very familiar verse here. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And we have to establish that in our minds first. We're taking, I'm somewhat taking for granted that you understand this, this fact that was recorded in the Bible, that Adam sinned and by death, uh, and, and death was passed upon men because of sin. And because of that, there's need for a sacrifice. Now, God chose, and I shared this message recently, and I see at least some people that are there that listen to it. I um, hope you can bear with. But God chose a very special form. And God chose a very special uh, figure for, for the sacrifice. And that was in the figure of the Lamb. Jesus was given many likenesses throughout the Bible. He's called the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He's called the Good Shepherd, the Fountain of Living Water, the Bread of Life. These are all some examples of what Jesus was likened to. However, the one consistent theme running from Genesis to Revelations is the Lamb. And I find that very intriguing. You probably have noticed that. The Lamb, the Good Shepherd, um, those are those. You know, if you see the the shepherd with his flock, and, and think about it, think of the Eastern uh, environment, their culture, the 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 sheep and the shepherd, the the goats, they're all woven into to their culture, and and it does us well to to understand that. I I thank God for our experience in Romania and just understanding that better. Well, this morning I'd like to explore this thread woven through the Bible. This God-lamb thread that's woven through the Bible. Where does it start? Where does it end? And do we have a personal responsibility to respond? I believe we do in both a personal way and in a corporate way as a brotherhood. In the beginning, we have Abel's sacrifice. First of all, we have Adam's sin. And the first sacrifice recorded was Abel's, Cain and Abel's sacrifice. Um, there, of course, before that came the first death. That was the, the animal that had to be slaughtered to, to uh, provide a coat. But the first sacrifice we read of was, was uh, the one that Cain and Abel brought. Now, there may have been more, and there were very possibly so. Genesis 4.4 4 says, And Abel, he also brought the firstlings of his flock and the fat thereof, and the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. Now, why didn't the Lord respect Abel's? Why did the Lord respect Abel's offering and didn't respect Cain's? We don't know the surrounding circumstances. 
it's uh, we don't. It would be an assumption to say it was because of this or that. Um, was this the first offering presented to God? Probably not. Um, had God instructed Adam and his family to to use a lamb as a sacrifice? I would think likely, but ultimately, what God wanted was. In this sacrifice, he wanted this. He wanted the lamb. He was intent on establishing a, a sacrificial figure early in human history. And the reason Cain's offering wasn't acceptable was because it wasn't a lamb. God wasn't looking for grapes or figs or leeks or garlics um, or dates. He was looking for a lamb. And that's why Abel's offering was acceptable. It may have also been Abel's attitude. He was obedient. Maybe Cain wasn't. Maybe Cain was told what he was to bring and didn't. We don't know. But we do know that Abel's offering was acceptable because he brought what God wanted, and that was a lamb. So we have that figure established early in the Bible, in Genesis. And then we have Abraham, Isaac, and the ram sacrifice, the figurative passion, I'm going to call it, the figurative sacrifice, the holy mount. Genesis 22.1 is where this account is. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham, and he said unto him, Abraham, and he said, or Abraham responded, Behold, here am I. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him therefore a burnt offering, upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. And it's believed that this mountain is at the same place where, or close to where Jerusalem was later built. And the general proximity where many years later the, the, perfect sacrificial, the perfect sacrificial lamb was offered on a cross for the sins of the world. And Abraham rose up early in the morning. Early obedience. He was quick to obey. And he saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. It wasn't running like Jonah here. When Jonah was asked to obey, Jonah ran. Uh, Abraham obeyed early in the morning. He went and took all the tools with him and took the sacrifice that God was calling for. Verse 4, that on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come back again to you. We will go together, I think was what was in Abraham's mind. We will go together, Isaac and I, and I will come back alone, mourning. You know, this must have, must have, been a very bitter thought to that dear old patriarch thinking of him coming back alone, going to the mount together and coming back alone. I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come back again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son. Here I see a a beautiful figure of Christ bearing his cross. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. 
And Isaac spake unto his father, to Abraham his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire, the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Many years later, a father would be walking the path to the sacrifice with his son and also without a lamb. The father, the son, the sacrifice. And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. What a beautiful picture of the oneness of the Godhead. They went both of them together. And they came to the place which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there, and he laid the wood in order, bound, his, bound Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. Now here we have purposeful steps. There was nothing haphazard about it. Can you see the father and the son gathering those stones up? Here's a stone, there's a stone, carefully pulling them to make the, the right kind of altar, the kind of altar that would support this size of sacrifice for a lamb. And can you see Isaac, young Isaac there asking his father, you know, is this stone going to work, father? Is, is that one going to fit into place? Can you feel the, the pain in the scene there? You know, Isaac perhaps wondering, why is dad so quiet? Why is father so quiet? Why is he not saying much? Something's on his mind. Or maybe he knew by this time. We don't know. But I see a father and son that were, that were being obedient to the point of death. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. Abraham had gone all the way in following God's command. You know, that, that figure, howbeit faint, of, of the son's sacrifice on the cross was complete. That foreshadowing figure of the son's sacrifice on the cross was complete, was as complete as human history could make it, or human foreshadowing could make it. In our time in Romania, we witness a lot of, with the Eastern Orthodox, we witness a lot of, um, of Easter celebration. And part of that, of course, the huge part of that was the Easter lamb. To them, having a lamb for Easter was paramount to anything else. To not have a lamb was to not have Easter. And along with that was the, the slaughtering of the, of the sheep. You go to the marketplace and you'd see these sheep lined up coming in. And then you'd see them hanging there, ready to go. And I also had a friend who was a very good butcher. And I'd watch him slaughter animals. And when he put up his knife and he was ready to slaughter, that was pretty much the end of the animal. You didn't see his hand would go down and the knife would go down at the same time. You did, his hand was so fast, you couldn't see the motion. It was over with. And the animal's throat was cut, was dead. I never saw him fail. I saw him butcher many animals. And I was always marveled at that. It was over with. Done. And he took a lot of time sharpening that knife, and he didn't fail. And I believe that's the way it was here. Uh, in Hebrews, it talks about Isaac being as good as dead. In Abraham's mind, it was over with. And I think without divine intervention, 
that knife would have been in Isaac. Genesis 22:11 says, And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For I know that thou fearest God, seeing that thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. You know that ram, was it there the whole time? Did they just miss it? Did Abraham and Isaac just miss that ram? I don't know. Did God just close their eyes? We don't know. Um, but we know that God provided that ram there for them supernaturally. And Abraham called the name of the place Jehovah Jireh, meaning the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. The ram supplied was a foreshadowing of the most memorable day yet to come, the Lamb of God. For by one offering, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. By one offering. And then we have the different attributes of the God Lamb that we read on throughout the Old Testament into the New Exodus 12.5 Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male the first year. You shall take it from the sheep or from the goats. And this was a Passover passage or instructions. That first Passover, which was God instituted then to be the first month of the year for the children of Israel. Exodus 12.7 They shall take of the blood and strike it on the two sides of the post and on the upper door post of the houses wherein they shall eat it. You know, the plagues entering this setting here, the plagues had taken place. Those first plagues had, had bothered both and, and hurt both the Israelites and the Egypt, or the Egyptians and the Israelites. But then the last plagues, the Israelites were removed from those. But then this one here was, was interesting in that all the firstborn of the land of Egypt would die Unless what? Unless the blood of a male lamb taken from the sheep or the goats of the first year were put on the doorpost and put on those side posts, were painted on. And so it took a responsibility, an act of faith, an act of obedience from the part of the, of the participants. I believe the Egyptians, those that were believing, and they would have called them a proselyte then. If they would have done that, their firstborn would have been saved as well. It, then verse 12, it says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and I will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord, and the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you, when I smite the land of Egypt. The sacrificial lamb. The blood of the lamb stood in place for the blood of the Hebrew firstborn. The same as the ram's blood stood in place for Isaac. And the same as Christ's blood, shed blood, stands in our stead. Revelations 1.5 says this, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, 
and the ruler over the kings of the earth to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. You see the line, that lamb theme that God has woven through the Bible? We've already went from Genesis to Exodus, but we have a lamb theme that runs all the way through, and I'd like to look at that some more. I'd like to ask our group to sing their their song now.
Watch the Lamb. <clears throat> I asked them to sing this song because it does a good job of showing the passion that was there in that awful day and that beautiful day for us as Christians. Acts 8.32 says this, the place of the scripture, Philip was talking to the 
the eunuch. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and like a lamb dumb before his share, so he opened not his mouth. You know, in that, in that day, all of a sudden, those children witnessed, and those people witnessed something really dramatic. It was a transition from the lamb that would only foreshadow the suffering Christ to the, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God that takes away our sin and took away the sin of Father Abraham and Isaac and all those people before who looked to Him. Also will take away the sin of those that look to Him in the future. Hebrews 13.12 says this, Therefore Jesus also, that He might sanctify the people with His own blood, Suffered outside the gate. What's our responsibility? Jesus suffered as one rejected of his own people. He suffered physically, unlike the sacrificial lamb or ram. The lamb could never know the pain of rejection like Christ did. Neither was a lamb tortured to death. <clears throat> his death came quickly administered by a skillful priest. For the sheep lamb, there was no false jury. There was no angry mob. There was no unjust sentence or cruel beating. And the rough cross he, or, and there was no wooden cross to carry on bruised and lacerated shoulders with a torn flesh most likely exposed. For the sheep lamb, there was no cruel rejection of its own people. The sacrificial sheep lamb was most likely treated with, a, with the most respect of all the sheep in the flock. Unlike Jesus here, the spotless lamb of God. Jesus, the sinless, the spotless, the undefiled suffered in a singular way. There's really no foreshadowing of that suffering He took for us. It was simply the sacrifice. Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. Here we have a call to identify with the God Lamb, with Christ. <clears throat> leave the camp, leave the camp, the familiar surroundings, the comfort zone. Bear his reproach, bear witness of his suffering and his sacrifice on our behalf. A call for us to join him outside the camp. Bearing his reproach, identifying with him. The saving lamb, the next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him and says, and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. And then in John 136, he again, John again reaffirms, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God. Again, this transition from a figurative sheep lamb recorded in the Bible to the revealed. Lamb of God taking place, being announced. John, the forerunner of Christ, had the authority to do this. He was baptizing his disciples, you know, in the dirty water of the Jordan River. And he sees Jesus, behold, looking at Jesus, behold the Lamb of God. 
You know, this, he signified, with these words, he signified the end of the era of the sheep lamb. It would, the sheep lamb would always be special for its role in pointing to the sacrifice of Christ. But no longer would there be a need for that sacred or a sacred need for that flawless male lamb from the flock for the Passover feast. No longer would that be needed. And then Jesus introduces his own self as a Passover lamb to his disciples. In John 6, 5, 3, 6, 53, Jesus says this, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. And he that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. Eateth my flesh, drinketh my blood. You know, to the, un, to the unlearned ear, this would sound barbaric or even heathen. But to the Jew, and to those of us who have seen that Old Testament thread coming through, that beautiful God-lamb thread coming through, and, and seeing it go on into the New Testament, there's a sense to this, eating the flesh of Christ and drinking his blood. There's a mystery in communion, in the communion of Christ's body. We don't understand every part of it. We probably won't understand every part of it until we get to heaven. We don't understand the fullness of the blessing. We don't understand really exactly how it works, taking the bread and drinking of the cup. But we're not asked to understand this mystery fully. God doesn't require us to understand all his mysteries. If we had to understand God, if we could understand God, God wouldn't be God. We're simply called to obey. Our part is to obey God's commands and leave the mystery to Him. In obeying God's command, we, we and to commune of Him, we open ourselves up to receive His blessing of communion with Christ. We open ourselves to become more like His Son, more like the Lamb. Our call to obedience, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three, Paul referencing back to John 6 here again. I've received of the Lord that which also I have delivered unto you, that the Lord, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take ye, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament, my blood. This do ye, as oft as ye drink as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Communion is the believer's response to a deep, deep biblical thread that runs from Genesis to Revelations. It's deep, that lamb theme, that sacrifice theme. Sin, the need for a sacrifice, the substitution, Substitutionary sacrifice of the lamb showing Christ in the future. The sheep lamb foreshadowing the only sacrifice that could really, that, that 
The only sacrifice that could really provide atonement or meet God's demand. That sheep lamb sacrifice didn't meet God's demand. It only satisfied his demand for the moment. The lamb of God, his son, was, was the only sacrifice that could meet that demand for atonement. Partaking of the believer's communion sets us outside the camp in a very uh, literal way. Think about it. The majority of Israelites didn't accept the holy sacrifice for what it was there at the time of Christ's sacrifice. They continued slaughtering the lambs year after year after year after Christ had given himself as a true sacrifice. And they placed their faith in their practice that was no longer blessed by God or capable of providing salvation. They continued, though, doing what they felt was right and what they felt comfortable with instead of putting their faith in Christ and in what God had blessed. We can fall into that same condemnation today as they did and miss Christ. If we insist on only doing what feels comfortable to us, if we stay inside the camp and don't move out to Christ, if we only do what's com comfortable to us and don't move on being willing to bear the reproach of Christ, and there's been no new revelation on how we as believers should identify with our Lord than what His very words are in John and then reference back to in 1 Corinthians, and that's the believer's communion. There's not been a new revelation since then. And we're called to go outside the camp, to go outside of our comfort zone and to obey, to move on out to Christ and to obey, obey that and, and take of the, the cup and take of the bread with the believers, make ourselves part of his body. This morning you might be here and say, well, I'm not worthy. Perhaps you're not. I know that I'm not worthy this morning to take of communion. In and of myself, I'm not worthy. Not at all. Not in the least. It's only by taking that, by relying on the grace of Christ that I'm worthy. And I'm fully relying on the grace of Christ, on His shed blood this morning. Now I have to do my part. I have to bring that blood. And I have to put it on my heart's post, if you would. I have to be willing to do my part. But if we were worthy of ourselves, um, it would mean that our own works could save us. Not of works, Paul says, lest any man should boast. Our works will never be sufficient. Only by reaching out and claiming the atoning sacrifice of Christ will, will we be able to be worthy. We have a work to do. We, we do have our part to do. But most of that is in us truly appreciating the gift, the free gift God has given. And when we truly appreciate that free gift, the obedience will follow because we appreciate that free gift so much. And by obeying, we gain more strength to grow in holiness, to be more, more worthy. Can we be more worthy? I don't know. It's only by Christ's grace Christ's blood that we can be worthy, but we can be more like Christ. We can be more holy and more what Christ would have us be. 
Well, I don't want to take up too much time here. I'd like to look just at a few verses out of Revelation yet. The lamb thread goes a little further yet. There's the triumphant lamb, the judge, the heavenly ruler. In Revelation, we read a lot of verses about the lamb. I'm just going to read a few here. I'm not sure which ones to choose here. Um, maybe Revelation 7, 9, and 10. And this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude which, which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes and palms in their hands and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon his throne, upon the throne, and unto the Lamb. See all these peoples, this great multitude, and Jesus being referenced again as the Lamb. And Revelations 12, 10 and 11. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God, and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, going outside the camp, and they loved not their lives unto the death. The Lamb's blood gives his followers the power they need to overcome. And then we have the judgment of the Lamb, Revelation 14.10. And the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup, or poured out full concentrate into, of the mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he, sh they, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb, the judgment of the Lamb. This morning I'd just like to ask you and myself, are we willing to do anything are we willing to hold back anything to not identify with the Lamb? When we look at this verse, the judgment of the Lamb, and, and then look at, in the more positive sense, the triumph of the Lamb, sharing His triumph. It behooves me to do everything I can to go outside the camp to identify myself with the Lamb. He's worthy. Revelation 21, 22, And I saw no temple there, and for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb or the temple of it. And Revelation 21, 27, there shall, no, there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. I want my name written there. Revelation 22, 3. And there are many more verses. I urge you to go through Revelation and read these verses about the Lamb. There shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him. The Lamb, the pure Lamb, in sublime, complete control of all things made new. You know, in Revelation here, it shows us a different Lamb than what we're seeing in Genesis, in in. Uh, John. Those were two parts of the lamb that we see. The sacrificial part, the giving part, um, the saving part. But here we see the triumph, the triumphant part of the lamb. And I want to be part of that triumphant part as well. Praising the lamb. 
God has clearly woven the thread of the Lamb through the Bible. And we've just seen a brief overview. To God, to God, all things are in perfect tense. Past perfect, present perfect, and future perfect. Jesus, the Lamb of God, slain before the foundation of the world, we read in Revelation 13.8. God knew what His Son would have to suffer. God knew the grief of His own heart concerning His sacrificial Lamb. And no doubt, when God put Abraham to the test, God designed that test with the keenest interest and the most purpose to, to point his chosen people to his son to come, the God Lamb. You know, which side are we on now? Are we celebrating the Lamb in our lives today? By taking communion this morning, we're celebrating the Lamb. Are we obeying His commands? Are we participating in the communion of the saints by the breaking of bread, the drinking of the cup, and showing the Lord's death till He come? You know, this is a part that we can do. It's our call to obey. It's not our call to understand the full mystery of it, but it's our call to obey. You know, certainly our God has placed value, more value than we can imagine on creating that lamb theme through the Bible. And we have a part to observe. Matthew 10.32 says this, Whosoever shall therefore confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whoso shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. I believe this morning as we take communion, we're making a very clear statement about our standing, about where we are with the land. And we're willing to go outside the camp. We're willing to go outside of our comfort zone. We're willing to take part of Christ's suffering. And I pray that God will bless you as, and bless all of us as we share in this very special time together. And also pray that if, it's, if communion is something that, that you're not sure about, that maybe you haven't thought a whole lot about it, that you look at it seriously. Um, I believe that, that God would, would have us to, uh, to obey this and, and be blessed by this very important command. God bless you.